Um, it is a very scary time down here, as, the, as I'm sure everybody knows from the news and the media that there has been a lot of deaths down here. Um, as you've seen on the news, it said that uh, inmates at Lakeland were scared for their lives, and frankly, we, we are. So, Angie, um, just first off, who, who are we listening to? Whose voice was that? Yeah, so that was Frank Duenas. He's 44 years old, and he's currently housed at Lakeland Correctional Facility, which is in Coldwater. Lakeland Correctional Facility was among the first prisons to see a large outbreak last spring. And I think what's notable about Lakeland is that the facility houses some of the state's um, oldest and most medically vulnerable prisoners. And because of that, this was the first prison to see mass testing last April. And we know now that COVID-19 impacted not only Lakeland, but prisons all across Michigan. Angie, you cover formerly incarcerated citizens. You've been covering how prisons have been handling the pandemic since it started. I think it should be your voice that also helps bring in this episode. Yeah, that sounds good. All right, let's get into it. Over the past year, We Lived It has focused on sharing stories of people we see every day. But on this episode, we're sharing the voices of those we don't often see or hear. Uh, the COVID-19 pandemic in prison has been very serious. Incarcerated people. So it's just like we're just being treated like animals. This is We Lived It, a special project produced by the Detroit Free Press in partnership with the Michigan History Center. The goal of this project is to document stories of the pandemic for future generations, but also to bring us together while we live it now. And for this story, we'll be enlisting the help of Free Press reporter Angie Jackson. Here's some context. Our state, the Mitten State, currently ranks highest nationwide for coronavirus cases among prisoners per capita, according to the Marshall Project. About 64% of all people incarcerated in Michigan's prisons during the pandemic have tested positive at one point. 141 prisoners have died of complications of COVID-19, and 4,200 correction staff have tested positive. Six have died. So it's impossible for a social distance to actually happen in prison. Every time we move around, we're literally bumping into each other. So while we're living through the pandemic out here, we can't forget the experiences of Michiganders who are living with it behind bars. And that's precisely what we're going to dive into on this episode. Can you start us back at March when the first cases were in prisons and in Michigan? Um, What were prisons going through and what were those early months like? Yeah, so we saw large clusters of outbreaks at several prisons pretty early on. Um, This was before the department was doing mass testing, so I think we just didn't really know how bad it was. And I talked to one um, expert, I want to say back in April, who told me that the cases that we knew about then were likely just the very tip of the iceberg, and I think he was definitely right about that. And this was a really stressful time for people in prison and their loved ones who felt like there was a lot that they didn't know about the virus, just like how, how we all didn't know much about the virus um, in general. And they felt like they weren't getting enough information about what was going on inside. During that time of March and April, I fielded frantic calls from people in prison and their loved ones probably on a daily basis. It's very emotional having the COVID. Um, I'm, I, I have um, medical issues, so I was very scared when I was told that I was positive. Um, you just heard Retha McIntosh. Um, she's 34 years old, and she's housed at Women's Huron Valley Correctional Facility, which is Michigan's only prison for women. And they just put me into a room. I felt like they should have sent me somewhere instead of just putting me into a room. 
how did prisons in Michigan house inmates that contracted COVID? Yeah, so from my reporting, I found that this is very depending on prison's layout and also the number of cases that have been part of, of, the, of the outbreak at that time. Some prisons have dedicated whole housing units to people with positive cases. Other prisons have separated positive prisoners in smaller areas like gyms or visiting rooms or buildings that are typically used for programs and classes. And then some prisons have established whole units um, that are on their grounds, but outside of the main prison building for positive cases, and those units have taken in prisoners from other facilities across the state. These audio clips that we've been listening to, these phone recordings, they weren't recorded by the Free Press. So where did it come from? This audio was provided to us by Jacqueline Williams. Um, She's an advocate for people in prison, and she made these recordings with people in prison a few months into, into the pandemic, around April or May of 2020. Um, And she made these recordings because she was worried that this population was going to be forgotten about during the coronavirus crisis. Um, Jacqueline saw that people in prison were desperate for the greater community just to know what was happening behind bars. All right, so let's go a little deeper. You had the opportunity to talk with an inmate who stays at the same prison as Rita. Who is she and what's her story? So I talked with Tamara Washington in the spring of 2021. Tamara Washington, 486-364. She's 40 years old. She's originally from Detroit. Um, she's serving a sentence at Women's Huron Valley Correctional Facility. And I was originally introduced to Tamara last summer by a friend of hers who was released from prison last year. And so she's someone who's kept in touch with me um, over email. This call is from a correction facility and is subject to monitoring and recording. Hello? Hey. When Tamara called me, we talked about her experiences throughout the pandemic. For someone who hasn't been following these stories of how the pandemic has affected people in prison, could you give me a recap from, from your point of view? Just wondering about, you know, how, how, you would, how you would portray this as someone who hasn't been aware of these headlines. Well, the last 13 months were challenging. Um, for the most part, it created divisions because everything was so scarce. The space was scarce for so many people. The best thing I can say is finding a spiritual balance is the determining factor to get you through, to keep your thoughts positive. So when you spoke before in the recordings that Jacqueline provided to us, you talked about a lot of fear during the early days of the pandemic. Um, I'm wondering if you still feel that fear or if it's been replaced by a, a, a... a different emotion? Um, it's it's uh, half and half. For the most part, I felt a sense of safety because, like, all the other units at this facility was having outbreaks with COVID, but my unit didn't. We're, like, really clean over here. And then the counselor told me that she wanted to move me. And that brought the fear again, because I'm like, I don't want to die. You know what I'm saying? She realized that she's really at the mercy of correction staff. And I think that that's what scared her, that they can move her somewhere else in the prison and she doesn't really have any control over that. And that's something that a lot of prisoners have talked about throughout the pandemic, that they felt like the facilities have been moving people without reason and that they felt like that's put them at risk. I've been safe where I am. So I don't want to change anything that I'm doing. And how's she been coping with isolation just in general? So that's been tough for her. Um, she said it's been 
It's been hard that she's been staying in her room a lot. She doesn't go to Chow Hall, which is where prisoners get their meals. I don't go out much and I don't do big crowds. So it's a lot of solitude and I stay in my room a lot. But I'm alive and that's the objective, to stay alive. I'd say this pandemic has affected her on a deeply emotional level because she's really close with her mom and she hasn't been able to see her mom because visits were halted at all prisons uh, last March. It's just been a strain because um, now we have video visits and my mother don't understand how to set it up. It's really complex for people that's not computer savvy. So with the COVID, she's not allowing people at her house to come and show her how to do it. So it's like I just haven't been able to see my mother in this past year. Prior to COVID, how often would your mom get to come visit you in person? Um, Like maybe once a month or once every other month she would come. Visits was always really good. She would stay for about three or four hours. And we would be able to eat together and talk and hug and experience, you know, experience love. You know, we just lack love, compassion, the empathy, the humanity. That's, that's lacking. And then we talked about how Tamara has been coping with uh, fear and grief. One thing she did was start a small book club with, with other prisoners. I read books. I read a lot of books. And I have um, a few friends, like three of them, where we can get together. To read and, and talk together and to have that source of comfort and to try to cope. And we discuss what we've read in the books. And, you know, we just kind of form a circle amongst each other. And we talk about it and uplift and pray together and then go on about our day and I was going to say, I bet even though you can't have something more formal, that it's helped to have a few people to lean on. Yes, yes, it's everything. That's we each, each of us is leaning on the next one to get through this because it's painful for everybody. So how is she feeling now that the vaccines are accessible? Is she feeling better about leaving her isolation? Is she feeling about better about engaging and, and being around other prisoners? So Tamara said that she initially didn't trust the vaccine, but she did want things to get back to normal. So that's what pushed her to get vaccinated. Um, how do you feel knowing that you're going to get your second shot possibly this week and then you'll be fully vaccinated? I'm excited about it, actually, because like I say, that's one step closer to possibly getting some normalcy around here. The more people get vaccinated, maybe they won't feel we need so many restrictions. So when you are able to see your mother again, um, what are you most looking forward to about seeing her in person? A big hug. I want to hug my mother and tell her that I love her so much and just hug her. Yes. I always appreciate your correspondence. Thank you very much. Okay, stay safe. Absolutely. Thanks, Tamara. Okay, have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Angie Jackson, thank you so much for talking to me about this. Thank you so much for having me. And again, that's Free Press reporter Angie Jackson. We want to thank her for her reporting and producing on this episode and also for her work at the Free Press because Angie is leaving us and she's moving on to investigate wrongful convictions at the State Appellate Defender Office. So best of luck to you, Angie, and thanks for all your great work. 
And I'd be remiss if I did not thank Jacqueline Williams, who sent us the phone call audio you heard at the beginning of this episode. We Lived It is reported and produced by Darcy Moran, Tad Davis, and me, Carrie Jr. II. Materials are supplied by the Michigan History Center, with a special thank you to Mark Harvey. Our executive producers are Marianne Struman and Anjanette Delgado, and our editor is Peter Batia. Everybody has their own story to share about the COVID-19 pandemic. So submit yours by leaving a three-minute telling at 313-288-0370. That's 313-288-0370. And check out freep.com to learn more. Thanks for listening.